Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Elton John famously sings, I guess that's why they call it the blues, and sad songs say so much. Well, in the book of Numbers, sad chapters say so much, and they might even give you and me the blues. And as if we needed another sad chapter in our Meals for Maturity series, especially after chapters 11 to 14, well, here we've been given a very sad chapter indeed in our travel story with ancient Israel. Today, three people die. Well, two in this chapter, but the third is not long for this earth. And the great leader, that's not the North Korean variety, but Moses himself will stumble and fails badly with the promised land in sight. And a whole cousin nation of Israel will cause enmity to last for generations. Numbers chapter 20 is a sad, sad chapter, but one which still speaks to us as God's people. As we study this chapter, hopefully you won't get too blue or depressed. Instead, listen out again for the five Ps across this story. They turn up again and again, highlighting God as a central player in the story of Numbers. Remember the presence of God, his providence, provision, uh, the patience of God, and always the promises of God for the people of God. Well, it's time now to punch in some new GPS coordinates as we reach the final geographical section in the wilderness wanderings, travelling home through uh, these wilderness wanderings. Remember our Lonely Planet Guide, the 36 chapters. Well, another way to unpack their journey is to identify three cycles of rebellion and failure to actually trust God. So three cycles, that's not a tricycle, but three sections highlighting Israel's unfaithfulness, yet reminding us of God's patience and his faithfulness. Rebellion cycle number one, chapter 10, verse 11 to chapter 15, it's rebellion over the M's, over manna, over Moses and over moving into the land. Rebellion cycle number two, chapter 16 to chapter 19, and this is a section I didn't do any Bible talks on, so you can read it for yourself and get depressed. Here it's Korah's rebellion and rebellion against Aaron, the high priest. Rebellion cycle number three, chapter 20 to chapter 25, that'll be the next few Bible talks, we'll explore this. Rebellion by Moses and Aaron, rebellion by Israel into idolatry and immorality. Well, Numbers chapter 20 brings an end to an era. Chapter 20 is the first month of the 40th year of wandering in circles in the wilderness. And now we have this whole new generation poised, ready to enter the promised land. Let's hear the first part of this sad chapter. Numbers chapter 20 verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. The 40th year begins with the death of Miriam, Moses' older sister. And the news is brief and stark, just one verse. What's not told here is that Miriam is truly a remarkable Old Testament saint. She's a leading light across Israel most of the time. She writes this great Old Testament hymn in Exodus 15. Her story actually begins, remember, in Exodus chapter 2, Under the hidden hand of providence, God arranges her to find her baby brother hidden in the reeds of the Nile and then to take care of baby Moses in Pharaoh's court. Perhaps it's no surprise that one of the leading lights in the New Testament and in the Gospel story will also be called Miriam. We know her abbreviated name as 
Mary. But now this era has come to a close with this simple death notice. Miriam, a leader amongst God's people, is no more. And sadly, she will not enter the promised land after walking for 40 years in the wilderness. That's some very sore feet, isn't it? She's part of the generation that God's already judged, remember back in chapter 14, that none except for Joshua and Caleb will enter the promised land. What we're not told here, and often this is the case across much of the Old and New Testament, is how Moses is feeling or dealing with the grief at this point in time. Stop and think for a moment. Moses' heart must have been filled with great sorrow and mourning as his sister passes from life to death, but into the presence of God. No doubt there would be a period of national mourning for this woman of God. Perhaps Moses falls into uh, some sort of depressed state here as we're taken to yet another sad moment across this chapter. Numbers chapter 20 verses 2 to 13. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord! Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them, and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord, as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So we come to another grumbling story and another water story. It seems like Groundhog Day for Israel. Once more back at Meribah, also called Massa, it's the same old, same old. And so the children of Israel and most of the adults, they dial up another 1-800 complaints number. Press number four for grumbles about your water in the wilderness, or in this case, lack thereof. And once more, we get the same old refrain from God's people about how great things would have been if they'd stayed back in Egypt, forgetting, of course, that they were slaves back then and probably being charged exorbitant water rates by the Nile City Council. It's a sad old rerun of God's people questioning God their provider. Can God really furnish a table in the wilderness? Can he really provide a banquet like the Egyptians could? All we seem to have is manna on the menu. Well, you might remember the first grumble story about water back in Exodus chapter 15. There God graciously intervenes, provides for his people, 
This time Moses throws a log into the water by the command of God and the bitter waters become sweet, perhaps not quite cordial-like to rot their teeth, but certainly drinkable, this water. And then two chapters later, Exodus 17, they grumble again about water. And there God graciously intervenes, provides for his people as Moses strikes a rock and water flows abundantly. But now in Numbers 20, there's a different pattern for Moses to follow in response to Israel's complaining and whinging. It's important to notice what God commands of Moses in verses 7 to 8. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock from, for them and give a drink to the congregation and their cattle. Now, stop for a moment and think how strange this must have been if you're watching. I mean, speaking to a rock is most unusual. I haven't done that for a while. I don't know about you. Maybe if you're on the set of the Lord of the Rings movie or something, it's a bit different. You can speak to rocks and trees. But here God says, speak to the rock, Moses, and do so in front of my people. But what, is actually, what does Moses actually do? Verses 10 and 11. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank along with their livestock. The command from God is to speak to the rock. The action of Moses, he strikes the rock. Now, God in his kindness, you'll notice, still delivers water for his people and their livestock, such as his grace to even use disobedience. How often have we disobeyed God's commands, yet still been blessed? Pause and say, pause and say thank you, Lord, a thousand times over. But clearly Moses, along with Aaron, have disobeyed God's clear instructions. Speak is very different than strike, even in the Hebrew language. Why did Moses do this? Well, we're not told exactly what's going through his head here, but we can imagine a couple of factors. He is most likely in a state of grief over losing his sister. He is most definitely fed up with grumbling again by God's people again about water. And he remembers perhaps that this happened last time and striking the rock sure worked out okay, so why not give it another whack? Well, what's clear is that Moses, along with Aaron the high priest, lets his frustration and anger boil over. So he speaks angry words to God's people. Verse 10, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Notice he says, shall we, rather than shall God, bring water for you out of this rock? Who said anything about Moses and Aaron bringing water from the rock? Perhaps it's a subtle shift here to move the glory from Yahweh onto the magic trick show of Moses and Aaron. Perhaps he's hinting that it's his work to actually provide for Israel, forgetting all along that God has been their constant provider. And then in his anger, Moses strikes the rock twice over. Now, across all of Numbers, the number story, we keep hearing these words, and Moses did according to the Lord's command. But here he doesn't. And we're told in verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given to them. 
Moses commits here a public sin against God, bringing disrespect to his name in front of God's people and taking matters into his own hands or staff, as it were. Now, many Psalms and other scriptures will never let us forget this great failure by Moses. And because of this failure of unbelief and disobedience, Moses will not be able to enter the promised land. But pause for a moment and let's ask, as many people do, wasn't God being too harsh judging Moses here? I mean, after all, he's been pretty good up to this point. Was God having a bad hair day and just took out his wrath on poor old Moses, who is old at this point? I mean, doesn't God overreact here? Now, we need to be very careful and wise about putting God in the dock and judging his actions across uh, the scriptures, as if we could ever place ourselves above God and determine what is right and wrong for him to do. Isn't that the very nature of Adam and Eve's sin back in the garden that has cursed us all? I mean, the nature of sin is essentially telling God, we don't think you should be in charge, and I think we can do a better job at ruling the universe and our lives. And so we all struggle with this judgment, I think, (laughs) given to Moses, that is, barring him from entry into the promised land. I think we struggle because we have a low view of sin and perhaps an even lower view of God's holiness. For Moses and Aaron take the glory and honour away from God and they trample down his holiness and they disobey his commands. And let's also never forget Jesus' words regarding Christian leadership. To whom much is given, much will be required or demanded. God's leaders across uh, the Bible will always face a harsher judgment and I don't ever forget that one. If you're looking for this doctrine of salvation by faithfulness by God's people, then Numbers ain't your book. In fact, you won't find one in the Bible. In the end, Numbers chapter 20 shows us that, again, it's all of grace that anyone even enters the promised land. It's all God's faithfulness carrying his people forward. Well, following this sad story, we reach Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 to 21. You can read that for yourself. But the grief in this chapter here gets multiplied as Israel is refused a visa entry to pass through the gates of Edom on the way to the land of Canaan. So Moses here puts in a simple, polite request to the king of Edom. He says, hey, buddy, hope things are going well across your country Would you mind if we, your brother Israel, he says in verse 14, would you mind if we take a little detour across the king's highway so we can get quickly to the land that God's providing for us? We won't touch your vineyards or any crops. In fact, we won't even drink your water. We just want to get through to the promised land. It's a simple request to the king of Edom. Now, remember, the Edomites are relatives of Israel coming from Esau's descendants back in Genesis chapter 25. Remember, Jacob and Esau are brothers. So a simple request from Moses, simple reply from the king of Edom. No, no, you can't travel through our land. Have a nice day, Moses. It wasn't a smart move from the king of Edom, for enmity, already present between these two nations, will now grow deeper. One day I might venture into the one-pager of Obadiah, if I can find him in my Bible, and then we can learn the fate, and there we learn the fate of Edom. But remember, God's people, Abraham's people, have already been uh, received this promise back in Genesis 12. For those that 
bless God's people, they will be blessed. But for those that dishonour God's people, they will be cursed. Well, following the tragedy and the messiness of Meribah, this has not been a happy day for Moses and God's people. And chapter 20 ends and the sad song continues as if things couldn't get worse. Let's hear Hannah read the close of this chapter now. Numbers chapter 20 verses 22 to 29. And they journeyed from Kadesh and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hall. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hall, on the border of the land of Eden, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Hall, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the people of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. Aaron, that Moses' brother and Israel's high priest, dies at Mount Hor. On the borders of Edom. At the start of the chapter, remember Moses grieves the loss of his sister. Now at the end of the chapter, his brother is no longer by his side. Two times we're told this phrase, verse 24, verse 26, Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. To be gathered to his people is special Old Testament language reserved for godly saints and the righteous. It's, it's God's way, I think, of communicating to Moses and to his people. Aaron might not make it to the promised land, but he's accepted in my sight and will enter into my rest. Nonetheless, it's a sad note to end the chapter on. It won't be until Deuteronomy 20, uh, 34, where we read of the death of Moses, again, being gathered to his people. But in any case, Numbers chapter 20 is the end of an era, the passing of one generation who will not enter the promised land. Uh, Singer-songwriter Michael Card puts it well, in the wilderness, he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness, but he gives grace sufficient to survive any test. And that's the painful purpose of the wilderness. But sadly, Moses and Aaron and Miriam all failed to survive the test. But God's people then and now, uh, we're not to dwell too long on the passing of so-called great ones, as if God's kingdom depended on them. Uh, think about it, over the past decade or so, or so, we've witnessed God call some great gospel servants home, haven't we? Billy Graham, John Chapman, J.I. Packer, John Stott, David Pawson, R.C. Sproul, Tim Keller, the list can go on and on. But never fear, for God will always raise up new stars in the night sky and Jesus will keep building his church through imperfect saints and leaders. For in the end, it wasn't Miriam or Aaron or Moses who actually walked God's people into the promised land. It was God himself. In fact, if we read the New Testament correctly, it was actually Jesus. Remember back to 1 Corinthians 10 and how it starts? For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was 
Christ. I mean, how crazy is that? We thought the rock was just there to get water from in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20 in the wilderness. But the New Testament writers come along, understanding biblical theology taught by the Lord Jesus himself, and they show us that the rock here in the wilderness is a type of, it's a typology of the Lord Jesus. This rock, you see, is pointing us to Jesus. That as they ate manna in the wilderness, Jesus is actually feeding them the bread of life. And as they drink water from the rock, Jesus is quenching their thirst with the water of life. I love this insight uh, by uh, Bible scholar Don Carson when he writes, In light of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, it is hard to resist the conclusion that the reason God had insisted the rock be struck in Exodus chapter 17 and forbids it here in Numbers chapter 20 is that he perceives a wonderful opportunity to make a symbol-laden point. The ultimate rock from whom life-giving streams flow is struck once and no more. I think that's a brilliant image and typology of the gospel that we can drink in from uh, in this sad, sad story of Numbers chapter 20. My friends, whatever's happening right now in your life, whether you're in this wilderness or a mountaintop experience in your Christian journey, maybe even mourning the death of faithful loved ones, will you keep coming back to these truths that are found in Numbers and then in the Gospel, that Christ is our rock, that we can go to him and drink freely by grace, totally undeserved, and when we place our trust in him, when we offer our lives daily to him, we will never go thirsty. And this rock struck for us once for all time in our place for our sin on the cross now offers us streams of living water that will always satisfy. So keep drinking freely, walking by faith, for God is faithful even when we stumble and fall, even when we grumble and fail. To him be the glory, our rock and our Redeemer. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.